This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Asia Torah here in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Um, th- this video goes out to lots of people. That's what I was saying before. Is that uh, if you guys don't mind, anyone here who has a has a smartphone, and if you're watching this, if you don't mind clicking uh, something, I don't know what you click. I'm not very high tech, but uh, I guess you click like maybe or yeah, thumbs up, and uh, and share it. So if anyone would like to go on, it's if you want to go on your smartphone now, it's Rabbi Yom Tov. Okay, just Rabbi Yom Tov. Y O M T O V. Rabbi Yom Tov. Go on there and hit a share, and it'll go out. Live. I'm also going to boost it. I boost it for 100 shekels a day. When I boost it, it hits about um, four or five thousand people. And then, of course, there's there's we have other little tricks where it winds up other places, which we're not going to discuss with Facebook right now. Um, so a lot of people get to see this video. So let's uh, let's pump it out there. And why on earth every rabbi isn't doing this? Like, if you got something to say, so you want to say it to I don't know how many people are in here. Forty people. Or would you like to say it to 4,000 people? If it's worth saying to 40, it's worth saying to 4,000. So, like, and I can't figure out what excuse in the world would be there for someone not to be doing this. And, uh, and I don't mean to complain about this wonderful institution, Asia Torah, but they should really get their acts together and have, have a camera right here videoing live with their own YouTube channel. You know, this is all going on. This is my propriety stuff now because someone thinks it's still 1983. So I get all my priority stuff. This is my propriety. You realize that. And what would I be able to say to Aish if they were filming it? Nothing. It would be their propriety. You know, their, their, it would be their intellectual property, ultimately. So whatever. I'm done with that rant. I might have some others coming. Now, let me just make a bracha. Baruch I'm like the only Hasidic to you. I'm the one who's supposed to be like the backwards boneheaded, totally low-tech guy, you know, but I'm actually the only guy streaming live here, so it's like, go figure, you know, <laughs> what's up with that, right, so, so let, let's, let's get into it, um, what we're talking about right now is uh, emotional bandwidth, and emotional bandwidth is going to be, you know, if we put it on a scale, there's going to be, slide over a little more so you can see more, um, so if we put it on a scale like that, so this is going to be like, and this is going to be like, like that. And, and so we got this bandwidth, but our problem is, the problem is, is that we don't like that. We don't like that side. Like no one here wants to feel sad. And you know, all psychologists have, I guess, agreed that people in general want to be what? Happy. People want to be happy. And so what happens is we're often not traveling over to, to this side of things. You know, we're just not willing to go over there because, because nobody wants to be sad. And, and I understand that. And I, don't, I also don't want to be sad. But what we have learned, I think all of us in our lives, is that those who are avoiding sad are not the happiest people in the world. People avoid sad. People avoid emotion. People avoid emotion. Don't get to have the highs either. People avoiding that. People take medication that puts down emotion, that, that, ho- that locks in emotion, are not going to be the people reaching the highs. 
Meaning that you can't have a medication that takes, you can't have a medication that's supposed to help you from feeling sad and expect to feel high. Because the same valve for pain is the same valve for joy. Again, I'm going to say that again, just you can make it a saying. The same valve for pain is the same valve for joy. If you want the joy, you've got to feel the pain. You've got to be able to go all the way. Because these, this is a valve. That, that's your spout for emotion. And emotion, you need to be flexible to go all the way to the depths of the, the most difficult emotions, all the way to the heights of the most elated emotions. You've got to have both. You've got to have full bandwidth here. If you're lacking bandwidth in your emotions, if you're lacking bandwidth in your emotions, it's probably because, and this is the amazing hint, and I'm going to tell this to you, if you're lacking highs... It's probably because you got somewhere really deep and dark and scary to deal with. And you're just not going there. And so what happens is you constantly get out. You're constantly, you're just, you're doing this without even thinking about it. You're, you're on a, you're unconsciously avoiding everything. In fact, when you walk into a room, when you walk into some situation, you, you practically digitize the scenario for your own protection to make sure that nothing touches you. Every relationship's built to make sure that you don't get hurt. Which means you're not really sharing fully. And if you're not sharing fully in a relationship, well, you're not going to get the joy of that relationship. You're not going to get the depth of that relationship. In fact, even today, um, someone hired me for the hour to discuss situations, and it turned out that this person's already medicated on three different medications. And I was like, well, how long are you on these medications? You said ever since he's married. <laughs> Doesn't sound so good about his wife, right? No. The issue is not his wife at all. His issue was that she should think she got the best goods. He wanted her to think she got the best goods, and so he never shared with her. But within a matter of a very short time, he started feeling insecure, and he started feeling anxiety, and he started feeling all kinds of stuff that medication was the key. And so what I've done with this guy, because guess what? The medication's not working anymore. It's simply not working. And he, the last two weeks have been a big load to the point where someone basically scooped him up and brought him to me in a wheelbarrow just now. And, and what we just got him committed to was that he is going to start to speak to her. And he's going to share everything. Everything. He's going to drop the bomb. And he's like, but then what will she think of me? She'll think I got, you know, bad goods. And I've been lying for two years. And I said to him, no. What she's going to realize the next morning after you speak is that she's married for the first time. She's finally married. Because what is the glue between women? What's the glue? What's it called? It begins with an S. H-A-R. What's the glue that happens between women? Sharing. Sharing is the glue. I just had a text the other day from another woman suffering from massive anxiety. Someone in Canada, I said, you know, don't you have a... In the end, it turned out she never shares. I said, well, who's your best friend? And she says, well, I have a best friend. She lives in, in South America. And I said, okay, great. You share with her, right? She says, no, I don't really share with her. And I said to her, okay, so... You want, to, you want help from me? It'll be after you've shared with her. 
So let me know when you're done sharing. You can send me a list of all the things you're going to share with her. And meanwhile, the guy I met today has got to send me a list. I'm waiting for an email today of a list of everything he's going to share. You know why I want a list? I want to make sure everything's appropriate. <laughs> there may be something that he shouldn't share. You know, because this guy's obviously, his emotional intelligence is, is like a negative 10. And so I, I want to just be careful. So I'm getting a list. I will be receiving a list today. Everything's going to share just to make sure everything's like, I mean, I mean, it's just, he shares nothing. Like, she thinks he makes this much in colo. He's really making that much in colo. It's like nothing's been shared. Nothing's been, and so he's not really married. Now I'm going to go back because a lot of you right now are kind of in the fo- trees. But let me take you back to the forest. The forest we're talking about is having emotional agility, emotional flexibility, to have a full spectrum of emotion. What I had said before was that you've been digitizing the world to protect yourself. And one of those protections you have is to not feel pain. And so what happens is every time you're anywhere near pain, you pull out. You go away from that pain. You remove yourself in some way. Either you'll remove your whole body or you'll disassociate and just remove your kind of conscious self from the moment, even though your body's still there. You somehow pull back. Well, have you noticed that works? Does that work? Is that where is your pain gone now? No more pain? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know why? Because if you think getting out is going to get you, is going to get rid of your pain, if you think retreating, somehow retracting, is going to get rid of your pain, well, you don't have to be a genius to realize it doesn't work. Because there it is. It's still there. And you're still digitizing everything to protect yourself. So it doesn't work. So the question is, how? How do I get to the joy? How do I get to the, 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 the life that I want? And the answer is that the only way out of your pain is through. The only way out is through. It's a weird thing, but it's a saying in personal growth world. In our personal growth world, and I'm not talking about necessarily in every aspect of it, but hardcore personal growth people, we have a saying that the only way out is through. And I've watched people, like, for example, I'm running a women's program, this Elul. I only run women's in Jerusalem every, like, maybe twice a year. Last year I ran it once. This year I'm running it, um, I think it'll be twice this year. And the second one is this Elul. It's actually in August. I forget the date. Uh, It's on my website, thepossibleyou.org. But there will be a women's one. Uh, The next women's, and there will be a Hebrew women's one, which is really exciting. First time ever Hebrew. And, uh, and we have a, those are both in August. And then we have men's and women's, the next one's October in English. Uh, men's in English, men's Hebrew in October. And then we have women's and men's in Muncie, New York in November. So people fly in from all over for these things. So, oh, what's up, ladies? Um, I think we need two more chairs. And can I, can I get you all to slide forward? Just bring in two chairs from... Uh, uh, just, ladies, just slide in a chair each. And everyone slide up one, one row, please. Now, there is one ironic thing, and that is, uh, has to do with therapy. Um, therapy is an amazing thing. Therapy, I'm talking about, you know, the 50-minute sessions for however much, 100 bucks, 200 bucks, 250 I don't know what your therapist charges. Um, but what I've noticed over the years that my ability to trust the therapist usually, meaning like to trust with my feelings, like to actually go in to the pain 
that my ability to trust the therapist usually began at around the 40th minute. I Meaning at around the 40th minute, even though intellectually I know I'm paying 200 bucks for this, man, like let my heart open in the first minute because I want my money's worth and I know the only way out is what? Through. Everyone say the only way out is through. Together. One, two, three. The only way out is through. Come on, let's go bigger than that. One, two, three. The only way out is through. Let's try that one more time. The only way out is through. I know the only way out is through, and so when I'm going to meet with some lady, and I'm paying my 100 bucks, 150, 200 bucks, let's start at minute one. But the problem is the heart don't know what the head know, and what the head knows is that I'm in the therapy session, let's go. The heart doesn't know that. And what happens is my heart usually just starts to open up at around minute 40. So maybe some tears are coming a little bit, and maybe I'm starting to get to know the contours of some painful places inside of me, at which point she goes like this. Well, that's it for today. And I'm like, huh? She said, well, we're at 50 minutes, so uh, um, we'll be seeing you next week. And I'm like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. I'm not coming back. No way. So anyway, I learned that I always book a double session. If I've got to cry something out, man. First of all, I'm not going near this lady if I don't need to cry something out. So if I'm crying something out, and it's come to me, come to the point where like i got to cry it out with her because I generally cry it out with my wife and it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> but if i got to cry something out and it's not for my wife, and I'm paying some bucks, I'm going for doubles. Yeah, we're doing the double session. So it is 200 bucks. And, and so for 200, you know, double session takes me 40 minutes to loosen up it's just kind of like you know that's the way our heart is our heart's slow the heart is slow because that's where trust is and you can't no, you're not going in the, in deep till you trust and this is one of the big issues with you know I've, i'm running my seminar now for 17 years and i still have not successfully trained another person to run it and you want to know why it's because the only way you can really let yourself go is if there's someone in the front of the room who can hold that space for everybody and it's a whole group well how many people can hold the space how many people can hold that kind of space for everybody leave it please who can hold that kind of space so what's happened i've trained five people now and all five couldn't hold the space hold the space means i've got you you can let it all go now. You can just let it all melt away. And like, I don't care how much tissue we're going to need. I don't care how deep and dark your rabbit hole is. I'm going down there with you. And you're, we're going to go in there. I've never seen anyone die from pain. I haven't lost anybody yet. Please, God, I'll never lose anybody. But, I mean, there have been a couple times, you know, in like Hasidic women's groups where like, I'm ready to call Hot Solo. Yeah, I'm ready to call, you know, the emergency, like, send them in, you know, because, you know, I mean, there, it was only like two months ago where I'm telling the lady, I'm like, you need to half, you know, it's a whole room of women, it's pitch black in the room, and one woman's, you know, just flat out in convulsions on the floor, but I'm like, I'm like, I feel bad because I can't go directly to her, there's another 30 women in the room, so, but eventually everyone else is starting to get distracted, and I'm like, you need to half that breathing right now. I mean, you need to go from ah, 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 to, to ah, ah. you need to have that. And it's the same in birth. Women go, go into that kind of hyperventilated state when they're giving birth to someone. Well, in this case, you're giving birth to yourself. 
And that can really cause some serious breathing. We've got to half that breathing. We've got to slow that breathing down just as deep, just as intense. We're not coming out of there. We're not coming out. We're going in. We're not coming out until we're done, until we've scraped the bottom of that barrel. And then the joy comes. Then comes the joy. Now, that's a feeling of order or chaos. Which one? Order or chaos? That is chaos. That's the essence of chaos. And that's where we grow. That is where we grow. Someone wants to grow a business. What does that guy do? He keeps investing. He keeps taking risks. Risk is order or chaos? Chaos. Chaos. We love chaos. Because that's how his business grows. Is he's got to be able to take that risk. He's got to be able to dance in the world of chaos. And in the world of chaos, he can grow his business. Tell me, marriage, order of chaos, getting married. Chaos, boy, do you grow. Having children, order of chaos. It's chaos. Someone who never knew anything about Judaism suddenly decides they're coming to Israel to learn. Is that going to create more order or chaos? The biggest chaos maybe of all the list I just shared. Major chaos. You're going to question everything, and if you really decide you're in, welcome to being three years old, because that's about how old you are in Judaism. And I'll tell you, like, when you're 20, 30, 40 years old, to come play, to come play in this place, to come to our little Jerusalem playground, and suddenly back things up to being a six-year-old, feels really chaotic. The worst people of order are immigrant parents. <laughs> I pity the fool with immigrant parents. Thank God. My, my father was the child of the immigrant parents, so he did the whole workaholic thing. And I was the grandchild of the immigrant parents. So it's like party. You know, like chaos. I wound up surfing. I and mean, what is surfing? Surfing is the ultimate order in chaos. Like I'm riding inside the tube of a 20-foot wave, you know, three times the height of this sailing. And it's, I got to be in perfect order with chaos all around me. One false move, I'm going into God's washing machine. <laughs> now, when you're on a 20-foot wave and you did something wrong and now you're in the washing machine, you know what you have to do? You got to ragdoll your body completely. Ragdoll, because you can get hurt. And you just go full ragdoll. There's also another reason you got to ragdoll is when it's done with you. When it's done punishing you you got to swim to the surface. Well, you're going to need some strength for that. You're definitely going to need strength for that. So when we go into chaos, sometimes it's a ragdoll. When we, when, we, when we go into our pain, sometimes we got to go ragdoll. And we got to just get in there and go deep and feel it and cry it out. You know, this is one of the proofs of God, by the way. This is a proof of God. You probably weren't thinking we're about to do a proof of God. But, you know, we are in Asia Torah. We might as well have a proof of God. I mean, Asia is known for its intellectual, you know, like, proof of God, proof of Torah, proof of the transmission of the rabbis, you know. So we're going to have a proof of God right here. You know what the proof of God is? Is that every single animal that has eyes has tears. Every animal that has eyes has tears. Why? Because the eye needs to be lubricated. Because if you're going to be looking around, you need to have lubrication on your eyes. And the reason we blink is because every time you blink, a microscopic saline, saline fluid will hit your eye. You'll notice if you keep your eye open too long, you feel it starting to dry out. You can't help it. It's involuntary. You'll blink. 
and it lubricates your eye so that your eye can move around. Every animal has this, but human beings have the ability to produce a thousand times, 10,000 times the amount of tears necessary to lubricate your eye. We're the only being in the entire creation that has the ability to create thousands of times the amount of tears necessary. I mean, where are those tears? Are you producing them in like real time? Is anyone, is there a doctor in the house? We got anyone, doctor, doctor, pre-med, oh, nurse. You had to study quite a bit of physiology, right? Is there, do we have some like thousand times reservoir? I don't think so. There's no spot that's like holding a thousand times. So we're manufacturing it as we go. What's up with that? What's up, where'd that come from? Well, the answer is, is God knows that human beings are highly complex emotional beings. We are, we are taking in a million different things that are going on, some of which are highly emotionally charged. There's stuff going on when we're kids that's highly emotionally charged. Family dynamics, situations going on in school, playground, friends. Not everyone's healthy. People get maimed. There's death. And, and God knows that we are going to be like soaking in all of this experience all the time. And the only way we're going to survive that is with crying it out. Because we're going to cry that out and purge it. Purge the pain. Or we're going to become shells of people. But what happens is that we don't like pain. You got to a certain age, you were probably 11 or 12 years old, where something really terrible happened to you. You were probably 11, 12 years old when something terrible happened. And what happened terrible when you were about 11 or 12 years old is that you got your mental faculties developed enough that you said, get the world out of me. You had what's called a world out of me. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a, 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 a surgical process called a world out of me. You see, when you were under 12, your mind wasn't developed enough, so everything going on out there was going on in here. You're like a sponge. When, you're, when you got to about three years old, you get the mental ability to start to really get kind of cognitive about things. And everything going on out there is going on in here. So the way your mother treated you or the way your father treated you or you getting forgotten at a bus stop because your parents are supposed to come pick you up and they forgot or they left you in shul or they left you at the park or who knows what happened, but you soaked that in. All those dynamics, you soaked in, you absorbed those things. Now, when you were little, you cried. They got to the bus stop 15 minutes late. All the friends are gone. You're standing outside the school by yourself, bawling. And they came and held you while you cried. You knew about crying then. Then you knew. They even know scientifically that if you ask children of divorced parents why their parents got divorced, the kid says it was me. The whole world's in you for some reason. When you're a kid, the whole world's in you. The kid thinks it's their fault. Had I never been born, it would have been easier on them. I'm the problem. I'm why my parents aren't together. Kids, everything's in them. When in fact, we all know as adults, what was the one thing keeping those parents together? The kid. That kid was what was keeping them together, not breaking them up. But when you're that kid, you sponge in everything. Well, when you get to about 11 or 12 years old, you have a little surgical process called a worldotomy. 
And a worldotomy is get this world the hell out of me. I don't want to get touched anymore so much because there's pain in there and I don't want any more pain triggered. And so what you did was you moved from what is called... You moved from what is called the experience of life to the concept of life. You move from the experience of life into the concept of life. You went conceptual. And think about it. Ever since you've probably been about 12 years old, you've been living in the concept of life. You don't live here. You're in the concept. You're in the concept of me. I mean, I'm a little hard to fit into a concept. But whatever you could fit in, you know, I got the horns. I got the, you know, the cosmic dental floss, Hasidic, you know. If I were a rich man, you know, I'm sure you probably, some of you, like any of you here the first day, raise your hand, your first day ever in my class. First day in my class. Okay, keep your hands up if you had a bit of a concept going on around me and I've just slowly destroyed it. Okay, so, okay, the same hands were up because you're in the concept. You're not here. How many of you are leaving Israel soon? Okay, keep your hands up if you're already kind of in the concept of being here because you're already kind of, you're mentally preparing for somewhere else and like, oh, last days in Israel. Well, can I tell you people with your hands up, same hands were up again for that second question. Can I tell you something? There are people flying into Ben-Gurion right now who are going to be here even shorter than when you're leaving. I myself, I fly into places for a day or two. Yeah, yeah Shlomi, you ever flown into Israel? What's the shortest trip you ever made to Israel? And did you soak it in? Did you, was it worth it? Did you love it? I was flying just to your class. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get that? Like, you guys are already conceptualizing your trip to Israel, and people are arriving. While we're in here, people are arriving for a trip shorter than when you're leaving. But you li- we live in concepts. How many of us live in the concept of our fathers? I mean, how can I be a man when there's a man over me who's still giving me unsolicited advice? Like, how old do you feel when your mother tells you her unsolicited advice? Do you feel 30 or do you feel nine? And how long do you spend on the phone with someone who makes you feel like you're nine? Eh, it's something like, uh, yeah, it's really bad timing. I can't speak right now. Yeah, let's, let's try again later. Click. That's what I call orphaning. Orphan, orphaning is when you kill someone way before they die. I had a guy call me from one of my seminars because we work on this a bit. He called me. He said he was mourning. A, he just sat shiva. That's where we sit um, for after a morning and, and uh, after someone passes. And he said he just sat shiva for his father. He said he sat with all his brothers. He said he was the only one who mourned his father. All his other brothers mourned the fact that they had knocked him off 30 years ago. But since the seminar, he really spoke it out with his father. Are you guys at 45? Oh, you guys got your tunnel tour, by the way. Uh, you, got, you got a little more time? Okay, great. Keep an eye on the clock. I'm, I'm like watching out for you guys. I'm not letting you miss your tunnel tour. Okay. Okay, good. So, the, uh, but this lady will appreciate a seat, perhaps, standing in the back there. There's some seats opening. Okay. Can you close the door, please?
You've been living in the concept of life. I'm not even sure when you eat an apple that you're actually eating an apple. At this, at this point, it is so locked in for you to live conceptually that when you eat an apple, I'm sure maybe the first bite, especially if it's sweet and delicious, or that tart kind that just kind of shocks your mouth, but by the third bite, are you still eating an apple? When you hear kiddish, are you hearing kiddish? Or is it just, you know, another... Or is it kiddish? And all of this came from pain. See, we've made a move, a psychological move that has taken away our access, our literal access to life, to where life happens. There's no concepts here. There's no concept of this class. There's no concept of me and there's no concept of you. There's only the experience. There's nothing like those trains and, you know, when you have to face someone on the train and they're like, or on a bus and they're facing you. What do we do? Like, it's so awkward. It's so uncomfortable. What do you do? You conceptualize the person, put them in a little box, Put a ribbon on it, put it on the shelf till either you or they get off at the next stop. And we do this like that. This is why, like, cops can't write me a ticket. They they can't do it. I don't know how many years this has been. Like, they can't write me a ticket. Because everyone they pull over is dealing with the cop as a concept of getting pulled over by the cop with the gun and the power and, you know, and all that. And the cop's playing into that. And now he's writing them the ticket. When I'm with a cop, he's, he's never felt so experienced. And then we get talking, and, and after a while, he just kind of goes away. <laughs> Much happier than before. Yeah. I know a few other tricks, too, by the way. <laughs> the other trick is that people become cops because it's a survival strategy for feeling powerless. So you give them lots of power when they pull you over. Just give them lots of power, like extra power. Meaning when they say, um, sir, you were going 75 in a 65 zone, you say, "Uh, officer, I really feel I was doing 78, and I would like you to really punish me this time because I need to learn a lesson here. (laughs) He stands there like this. He's like, it's like a frozen computer. He doesn't know how to run this program. And, and he's just like, listen, drive more carefully. Just, just give him his power. Give him his power. No, no, you're not believing. No, you got it with conviction. I beg cops to, to write me up. I beg them. I'm like, write me up. They're like, how dare you ask me to let you off? I'm like, I didn't say let me off. I said, write me up. And he's like, this is a warning to you. And I'm like... I don't want the warning. I want the write-up. You, know, you got to teach me a lef- lesson, officer. What I did was crazy. <laughs> He's like, this is a warning. So, okay. Anyway, I'm not going to teach you all my tricks. That's, you got two of them. All right. Now, were you with me? You were with me the last time where none of my tricks worked, right? Where we had to pull out the anal Milvado trick? Oh, yeah. You were with me for that. Yeah. Oh, you left him. Oh, yeah, because he was running, which is what we were doing in the anyway in the public transportation lane. But the uh, 
because he was in a rush. But none of my here, none of my tricks were working, and it was a female cop. They're the worst. They're the worst. I mean, this is like like feminist foaming at the mouth, smoke out of the ears, cop. You know, and and of course we couldn't win this one, so we pulled out the third trick. The third trick is when they go to write you up, meaning when you lost, and they go to write you up. You get everyone in the car saying and concentrating the following words, Ain od milvado, Ain od milvado, over and over again, Ain od milvado. <laughs> and so while all the kids were saying Ain od milvado over and over again, I was saying, I was between each Ain od milvado, I was saying, there is no cop, Ain od milvado, there is no van, I drive a van, Ain od milvado, there's no public transportation lane, because there's no, only God, right? Ain od milvado, there's nothing but God. And we just kept going and going and going. Like 10 minutes later, she comes back and she's just like, Sabzi Ruth, drive carefully. Yeah, drive carefully. Hands me back all my stuff and we were gone. Yeah, it was the closest I came in like 20 years to getting a ticket. Okay, now, but let's get back to us. One of the proofs of God is that God gave us this ability to manufacture this massive amount of pain, which comes through tears. To wash ourselves. Have you ever seen a toddler cry? Like, really go for it? They, I mean, like, really, like, pounding the ground and kicking their feet and crying and crying or crying in your arms. And they're, like, doing that, you know, doing that whole thing. How do they feel a minute later, two minutes later? How do they feel? Amazing. They still know the secret. They know that the only way out is through. They know that. They just know it instinctually. That if they're feeling those feelings, well, well, put, don't put on the brakes, put on the gas. If you're feeling deep pain, go for it. Go in. Don't pull out. You've been pulling out all these years and it's not getting you anywhere. Go into those feelings. Go in there. Go experience the contours of your pain. Stop running away. Because then it's just there and then someone marries you. <laughs> and then you wind up not wanting them really to know what's in there because you know you don't want them to feel like they made a mistake or anything and so you're not really married because is that called being married if you're not sharing you're not able to be you're not able to be okay with your pain with your spouse if you can't be okay with your pain with your spouse are you married are you really married So we have to embrace all of the spectrum, all of the spectrum. We have to experience life with all, with all that it is. I was at a funeral um, a couple years ago, and the, the boy was sharing about his father, you know, the, the, the son of the father. He was in his 30s, whatever, sharing about his father, and he's crying family's crying because they couldn't be conceptual. People are very conceptual around death, by the way. People are very conceptual around death. People don't like death. Death's like scary. Um, At least for people who don't know what they're living for yet. It's just one of those odd things. Like, if you don't know what you're living for, death's like frightening. But if you do know what you're living for, you're like not scared to death at all. It's the weirdest thing. Like, if if you know what you're living for, now you have a life, so you should be scared to death, but you're not. Whereas people who don't know what they're living for, so they don't really have a life yet. Yet they're scared to death of death. It's one of those ironic things. And there's an answer why, but we're not going to do that right now. You know the answer why. 
Remember it? She's my good student, Ahuva. You remember it? Forget it, don't worry. It's fine. So I was at this funeral, and everyone in the room is like, because it was a pretty tragic death. It wasn't like timely at all. It was, it was uh, you know, like tragic. And, and so no one's crying except the son, the couple other brothers, daughters, wife. That's who was crying. The rest of the room, packed house. The rest of the room is just like... And then there was, of course, in the back of the room, guess who was standing over there? Yours truly. And I'm bawling harder than the family. I'm like bawling. The son was so articulate about his father. And just every time he said another point, he would break down crying. And I'm with him. The whole, I'm like riding the wave with him. Because I'm, I'm living here. I'm fully here. And so I'm just like crying with this guy. Anyway, funeral ends, a couple of Kaddishes, put him in the van, and then I went on my way. I had a meeting at a place called Shefa, uh, what's that place? Rav Shefa Mall on Shamgar Street. Start heading to my meeting, at which point a guy comes running down to me and says to me, I had no idea you knew Mr. Goldstein. I'm like, who's Mr. Goldstein? And he was like, What? I'm like, yeah, who's Mr. Goldstein? I don't know, what are you talking about? He's like, you were just at Mr. Goldstein's funeral. And I'm like, I was wondering whose funeral that was. Well, who's Mr. Goldstein? He's like, well, he's from whatever he was from, Arzabira, like over. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks for telling me. No, I don't know Mr. Goldstein, or I didn't know Mr. Goldstein. He's looking at me like, uh, Rav Yom Tov, why were you crying like that at Mr. Goldstein's funeral? And I'm like, I was listening to the son. The son was giving a eulogy, and I was listening. He's like, what are you doing at Mr. Goldstein's funeral? And I'm like, I had a meeting in the, in the mall over here, and I had an extra 10 minutes. And I saw there's a funeral, so it's one of the commandments of the terrorists to Malava the Mace is to escort the dead. And so I walked in. And I'm so glad I did because I heard some very beautiful words and I got much more appreciation of my own father and so glad he's alive. And, and so I cried with, with him. And this guy was just walked away just going like, what's up with Rabbi Glazer? You know? He's like, ever since then, I think he thinks I'm emotionally unstable or something. <laughs> no, because I run into him once in a while. This is like 10 years ago. I run into him once in a while and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm like dancing at a wedding. I'm like, I think so. <laughs> Are you okay? He's like, I'm okay. But the guy thinks I'm emotionally unstable. And by the way, I did have a wedding a few hours later, and I was doing like backflips. Because now it's wedding time. And I don't need alcohol to enjoy it. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, in conclusion, we've got three minutes left. Listen to me. We're in what are called the three weeks. These three weeks are not a happy time. This is a rough time. And not only are we in the three weeks, we're in the culmination of those three weeks. We are in the last nine days. Today is day whatever of the last nine days. This is day five of the last nine days. We are in like 
the depths of the most painful part of the calendar. And I know a lot of people who are not embracing that much. I know a lot of people are like, can we get this over with? I know a lot of people are like, they're keeping the Jewish law, like they're not showering, and they're not shampooing, and they're not soaping. You know, you're allowed to sh- do stuff for like, you know, I mean, you can certainly put a little soap under your arms and stuff, which I strongly suggest, you know, for s- people who sweat a lot or whatever, but they... Meaning there's people keeping the laws, but a lot of people are like, let's get that over with. Like, I'd like to get back to listening to music, please. I mean, we're in the middle of the summer, you know, summer. Summer's here and the time is right for dancing in the streets. You know, it's like, why do we have to have a three-week mourning period right now? And why is that mourning period getting so heavy now? Why do I got to deal with that? Well, I think our sages knew what they were doing because there's three weeks coming, which are like the highest three weeks. There's going to be some high three weeks coming up. Very high three weeks. Those three weeks are going to start Rosh Hashanah. First day of Rosh Hashanah begins the three weeks. The three weeks. Tenth day will be Yom Kippur, which is like one of the highest days of the year. I mean, it's so high, like... Who would even want to eat? You know, we're so close to God. How could I? How could I even want to do something as, as, as coarse as eating? On a day where we've got that kind of closeness. It's funny. It's called the Day of Atonement. If you look at the word atonement, it's at one minute. If you separate the word atonement, it actually spells at one minute. We're at one with God, like no other day of the year. That's high stuff. I mean, that's like. That's the essence of meaning, and meaning's what brings us the most joy. And then, of course, when we've come to the like the last hour of Yom Kippur, where everyone's just like, Hashem, everyone's crying and bawling, and it's like all there is is God, Hashem. I'm not going to do a Kabbalah class right now, but Hashem's the, the name of God that surrounds creation. Was, is, will be, Hayahovayir meaning beyond space and time. Hu ha'elokim. Notice the word elokim is plural. It's the filler. It's the filling of creation. Meaning, hu elokim is the, elokim is the, is the, you know, this is the tortilla, and elokim is the rice and beans, meaning, meaning, meaning all there is is God. We get to this moment of like total meaning, like the greatest moment of meaning in our year is this moment. This is high times. This is like, High, okay? Really high. Okay, this uh, that moment, if you can get that moment, I suggest doing it in Israel because here it's super hot. I mean, that moment is so high. If you can get in that moment, you got so high, it makes LSD look like vitamin C. It's higher. And then, after you've just declared that everything's God... God's like, okay, let's see you put your money where your mouth is and move outside your house. Let's see you move out. Because the thing you made the most meaning out of was your home. And why'd you color that wall that way? Why you got that painting there? Why'd you choose that on the mantelpiece? Why'd you got that? All the meaning you made out of your lock on your door, your alarm system, all your security with your reinforced concrete. It's going to somehow protect you. 
all that meaning you put into your house. Yeah, Hashem, Hu Elohim, you're going to say that seven times. Seven is nature, meaning God is the nature. That's all there is, is God. There's nothing but God. If that's what you're going to declare at your highest moment of the year, let's see you move outside for a week. Let's see you go camping for a week. Go live outside. And what do we do? We go outside. And what's the greatest joy? Raise your hand. You ever gone camping and just said, wow, isn't life so simple and easy and much happier? Anyone gone camping and felt that feeling of like joy when you just got rid of everything and you just got like a tent and a sleeping bag and a jug of water and peanut butter and jelly? That's what I love in my belly. You get to go out and just be in joy. Well, we got three weeks of joy coming. It's called Zman Simchasenu, the time of our joy. And right now we're in the three weeks of pain. Embrace it. Embrace it. And the pain we're feeling now is we're mourning the temple. I'll be speaking, by the way, I'm speaking here Saturday night. Anyone know what time? Saturday night? There's going to be an Echa reading. Megillat Echa will be read. And I'll be speaking Saturday night outside. It's more like a couple hundred people usually come to this. So it'll be right in this giant lobby here. And uh, we sit on the floor. Don't be offended if I don't greet you because we don't greet uh, on Tishabav. We're going into the depth of the morning where you don't even greet. I just came today. I was in a house of mourning just now. It's uncomfortable because everyone's kind of, it's like a bit of a reunion of friends seeing each other at the house of mourning. But no one greets. You don't say hello and you don't say goodbye. We're in a time of mourning now. And we're going in to the pain. We're going to feel that pain. We're not, not going to avoid that pain. We're not going to avoid it. We're going to feel it. And what are we mourning? We're mourning the, the temple. Well, guess what we're going to be asking for all Rosh Hashanah over and over and over again. All Yom Kippur over and over and over again. And all Sukkot, over and over and over again, we're going to be asking for the temple. Over and over again. It's like total repeat. Over and over again. Even when we're in the Sukkah parting, we're going to be like, that may the merciful one raise up the Sukkah of David that has fallen, meaning Jerusalem. The whole entire three weeks of joy, we will be begging God but you know what God's going to say? Where were you during the three weeks? It's real cute. When you're worried about what your year is going to look like, that's real cute when you're in a foxhole on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur that you got serious about these holidays because you're worried about what your year is going to look like. So now you're serious. Well, where were you during the three weeks? God's taking snapshots right now. We are, on, we are being filmed right now for how we mourn the temple. How do we mourn our nation? How do we mourn the fact that our ancestral lands have been torn asunder with God's presence dwelling on that mountain? You know, where the whole world could come and just freak out on Hashem. No Asia Torah proofs necessary. It was right in front of your face. How come... How can we not mourn that? And when we mourn that, and we go into that mourning, and then comes Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and there we show up to God on those holy days, asking for the temple, God's going to say, ah, I saw you in Jerusalem. 
I saw you there during the three weeks. I saw you at the time of our mourning, and you were mourning. You weren't trying to run away from it. You were going into it. And that's why, I'll close with this line, the famous Israeli folk song, Sisu et Yerushalayim Giluvah. Sisu et Yerushalayim Giluvah. It's one of the famous Israeli folk songs. That you'll have joy in Jerusalem. Have joy with Jerusalem. All those who love her, kol ohaveha, all her lovers. But you know what the last words that they dropped out of the Israeli folk song? Kol hamit ablimba. Kol hamit ablimba. Those who mourned her. Who's going to have joy in Jerusalem? Whoever mourned her. Who's going to have joy in their life? Whoever feels the pain. Our sages knew what they were doing. They set us up to feel fully, to be fully alive, to fully experience life. Not to be stuck in the concepts, but to experience our lives. So may we all be blessed to somehow turn, turn back the clock and get the world back in us. So we can feel alive. It's okay to be conceptual in an emergency. So emergency, you're at a, you're at, you're at emergency. Uh, you know what do you call those guys? What do you call those guys? Those guys who run in E EMT. You're an EMT. I understand you don't want to experience things. There's blood. There's guts. Like you want to just stay conceptual and get the job done. A sur- I di- I don't want my surgeon to be experiencing me. Okay, <laughs> he should stay conceptual and just get it done. There's a time for a conceptual. God gave us that ability, but unfortunately, so many of us have been living there totally and all the time, staying away from our pain. May we all be blessed to have a full, full ability to experience all of our emotions that were God-given as a wash cycle to feel the joy of life. Amen. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.